We've been talking through Acts, and uh, last week we entered into Acts chapter 10, uh, which is um, this beginning uh, picture of the gospel going to the Gentiles. Um, and so I wanted to get us up to there again, kind of, I did this a few, maybe a month ago, so ago, I want to do it again here today, just like a brief reminder of how, how the story of Acts is connected into the story, right? Like, I'm not going to be able to cover all of it, but I just want us to tie us in back to the story of God. We talk about that. It comes in six parts. The first one being creation, right? Genesis one and two tells us creation. And one of the big themes we see throughout the creation story is God's desire to be with his creation. Uh, with the actual world that it's in. He's here walking on the earth is what it's described at. With his creation, uh, he looks at it, he says it's very good. He loves that creation, spends time with that creation. He uh, creates humans, Adam and Eve, uh, forms them with his uh, hands and with his breath and says, this is what, this is who, this is you. This is like an image like me, right? And he created them to be in communion together with him. And then what we, ha we know happens right after that in Genesis chapter 3, um, he gives them even how to live, what, what life is to look like. And he says, you can do everything except for eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they decide, uh, after being deceived in the rebellion, Genesis 3 through 11, that um, they want to they go away from God's plan for their life. God's wanting to be for them. They're choosing to try to even be their own God, believe the lie that they could be their own God. And we know that all rebellion against God and his way is called sin. So in this rebellion and in this sin, it leads them to shame and separation from God. Um, we see that, uh, we see guilt and fear. And so much so they go high, they cover themselves. And God says, listen, because you've done this, because you've done this thing, you've rebelled against me, I've got to, I've got to set you aside. You cannot be with me. Uh, you can't be in the garden, sorry, can't be in the garden anymore, but yet I'm still going to be with you. I'm going to send you out. And so Genesis 3 through 11 is what life looks like following this rebellion, right? And this continual place in the garden there, uh, we'll, we're going to get to the promise. There's the beginning of this promise with Eve, right? That, hey, one day from you will be uh, from your seed, from your line will come one who will crush the head of the serpent but yet he will strike his heel, right? There's this promise and hope that things are not good now, but they're going to get better, right? But what we see from Genesis 3 through 11 is they don't, they just keep getting worse and worse and worse, right? Right? Uh, Cain and Abel, we see that story. It doesn't take long. We're getting all the way, it doesn't take long. We're to, we're to Noah and the ark. Uh, God's saying like, he's so frustrated with everything that's happened. No one's wanting to live and follow his ways. He can only find one family that will do that. That's Noah. We'll save them. And we'll start over again, right? But it's a continued path over and over and over again of not ever finding that this rebellion showing itself. And then God shows up again in, in uh, Genesis chapter 12. Uh, and begins this promise, this covenant season, this story throughout the, old, the rest of the Old Testament, right? Where Abraham, Sarah, you see it in, uh, um, in Genesis 12, it says, uh, uh, Now the Lord God said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house and the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, uh, I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's saying, listen, from here on out, the promise I'm going to make to you, Abram and Sarai, before they've ever done anything, 
before they've gone to another place, before they've even shown that. He says, I'm going to make this promise to you that you will be a blessing to all the earth. And what we see continued out from Genesis 12 through Malachi 4 is this picture of individual after individual kind of stepping into this role. Abram wasn't perfect, right? He didn't make it. He wasn't the one to see it. Yet though through his lines can happen. King David wasn't the one, right? We see flawed man after flawed man, flawed person after flawed person throughout the Old Testament, not being able to live up to complete this promise. But we, we know that God's not done. And we see that happening again when, when redemption comes in the Gospels. Jesus coming to turn uh, this upside down world and everything, uh, the, this world upside down and everything that people thought about the Messiah and the kingdom of God. So much so, how did Jesus come? He came as a baby. The conquering king was in a baby. And he, he was born in a town that no one cared about. He didn't have a lineage that people looked at. He was a, wed to a teenage mother, right? No one was looking at that going, this sounds like a, good, a great plan for us. And so we see throughout the stories of the gospel, Jesus growing up, then, then finding his disciples and begin to lead them and teach them in the ways of God and the kingdom of God. And then stepping out of the norm, right? He goes to heal the sick, right? A Jewish law, if you go back through all the Old Testament, tells you how do you maintain a right relationship with God? You do that by obeying his commands, obeying his laws, right? Saying like, there's a way to do that. What do we find in that law? You can't, you can't fulfill all the law. The law can't do it. So Jesus begins to show again over and over again how, how he is greater than those laws. He's healing the, the, the sick by touching them. He's associating with the sinners by eating dinner with them and loving them. We see them fulfilling the prophets and the promises of God all throughout the Old Testament. And that leads us in um, to even so much so that he's willing to die on the cross, telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to go. I'm going to come back again. And three days after dying on the cross, being buried in the tomb, he's risen back to life. We just sang about that earlier. And he comes back. And this institutes this be, be from death to life, giving us hope. And he brings in the season that we call the church, right? The body, of, the body of Christ. And in that, he says, listen, I want to promise you the Holy Spirit is going to come. And when he does, he's going to send you out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what do we begin to see through all of the book of Acts, right? Immediately, uh, miracles and wonders, right? They speak in voices and languages that they didn't know. People are able to understand it. We see people's lives, again, turned upside down, beginning to follow. Every, no one had need among them. Everyone who had need was giving of what they had to others. Um, what we're seeing throughout this story leading into chapters, uh, chapter 9 is that the gospel is going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, but it's primarily happening through Jewish believers who have been dispersed, right? And they've either come back to Jerusalem and now they're going out. There's one caveat in this throughout the stories that we've read so far, and that's the Ethiopian eunuch. That's the only one uh, that we could look back to and go, they probably... Probably was they were um, probably were not Jewish believers, right? Or going into someone and in, in who were Jewish, but for whatever reason, um, I'll just take it that that's not when God was ready to say where the gospel was going out to Gentiles. That's not when we see what happens in Luke chapter ten, where God comes down and clearly shows Peter, hey, the gospel is good for all people, even to the Gentiles, all right? And so last week I want to look at that vision. Last week. Uh, 
Acts chapter 10, starting verse 9, it says, um, so what happened was two different visions happened, right? We had Cornelius gets a vision that he needs to go send some people to go find Peter. Uh, Peter gets a vision, and this is his vision right here of why he's got, yes, we, we just said, we're all good. We're all good. <laughs> some people t- just try to hide it, Louise. Like this is, I'd much rather this. I'd much rather you just do, like, this is not bothering me at all. It'd be worse if you're just, like, camped out trying to pretend you're staying awake. No way. No way. So this is Peter's vision, and that's what's leading us in today for the rest of chapter 10 and into Acts chapter 11. It says, The next day they were on their journey approaching the city, and Peter went on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And he saw the heavens opened up and something great like a sheet descending, being let down by the four corners uh, upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And they came with a voice to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him for a second time, What God has made unclean, do not call common. This happened three times, and things were, and, and the thing was taken up into he, uh, once into heaven. What we talked about a few weeks ago as we looked at this was this is God's providence, God's timing, and all of all of our life, right? God ordained for uh, Cornelius to get a vision at the same time as uh, uh, or, or, and send people out. And the same time Peter gets a vision, that's all time up, right? As soon as this gets over. Guys are knocking on his door saying, hey, we're come to get you, right? And we need, we need you to come see uh, Cornelius. So God's timing in all of this is so providential. And we're seeing that God is about to do something big in this moment. Some people even call this like the Gentile Pentecost. Like this is the beginning of the spirit going into the Gentiles. And so maybe that's even the difference of the eunuch. We'll talk about this throughout. But what we see throughout um, Acts. What are the signs of somebody? Maybe you can help me with this. What are the ways we know that somebody has become a believer? What are things that happen in anybody's life when they become a believer? Now, this shows up in Acts. Maybe you would know this just on your own experience, but what would be the signs or pictures that someone has become a believer when we read through the book of Acts? What, th- what do they do? What happens? What do we know? Baptism. Baptism is part of that, right? So baptism is, you, is, a, is a time where you do the symbol of, of going under the water and coming back up to be reminded that you, like Jesus, have died from your old self and now back to new life. Baptism is one. What else? What else have we seen when people come to faith? Filling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and begins to dwell in that person, right? So that happens and that goes on. Anything else you can think of that happens through the book of Acts when we read these stories of the gospel coming, you know, changing lives, what, what begins to happen? They make disciples, right? So they begin, like there's fruit of what they're doing. They don't stay the same. One of the ways they do that is by making disciples. Anything else? Sharing their belongings. It's a common theme throughout there, right? So if you say to everyone that's sharing their belongings, well, oh, they must, be, they must be a believer. Would that be the case? No. If you said even to everyone that got baptized, oh, they must be a believer. Would that be the case? You'd be like, well, I hope so. Like, we, 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 we would assume that maybe in our own church, but you might look out beyond there and go like, well, I don't know because there's some other stuff that could have happened, Right? And when do those things begin to happen? Do we know when this happens? So what we see throughout the book of Acts um, is what I love about what God does here is there's not a way for this to happen. Like sometimes the spirit comes 
and then they get baptized. Sometimes they get baptized and then the spirit comes. Like those, those are never happening only in one order. And so I want you to hear that as we come through here. Maybe, uh, maybe one way to look back on the Ethiopian eunuch was that the spirit had not come yet to the Ethiopian eunuch, but he believed. Why do we know that? Because he was baptized. And so this picture of that is, again, helping us understand some of that. Sometimes we try to answer stuff, and this is, could be one of those, so I don't want to get overly, be like, how do we figure this out? We just don't know that. But here in these next verses we're going to look at today, and um, Acts 10, 23 um, through Acts 11, 18, what we're seeing is that there is now the Gentiles are going to receive the gospel and the spirit is going to come upon them. And it's going to be very evident that now God is changing things. There will be, and this is going back to that covenant with Abram, right? That he would be a blessing to all nations and that including all people, not just the Jews. Okay. So here's what I want to do. What we also know what happens, right? Um, is that um, it is what I would say even biblical, right? We recognize this throughout, especially uh, in Acts, we'll see this, for an author to describe an event and then repeat it all over and over again, re-describing it throughout the letter, right? So what I don't want to do today is just read the same account three different times or a couple different times a day because we have to read it all the way through. So I'm going to try to read portions of this because it's going to be repeated. Some of the stuff has already happened. Some of the stuff is happening. And so it's just, it's just continuing of telling the story, right? So this happens in Acts 10. The initial events are Acts 10, 1 through 23. Then there's a brief summary conversation between Peter and Cornelius, which we'll look at a little bit in Acts 10, 27 through 33. And then at the end of this section is a complete retelling of this whole story, Acts 11, uh, 1 through 18. Okay. So what I want to do is read uh, this first portion of it so that we have an idea. And then we'll, we'll jump into a couple of parts as we need to, to kind of make sure we get it covered. So Acts chapter 10, verse uh, 23. Acts 10, verse 23. Um, it says, And so he invited them to be their guests. And the next day they rose and they went with him. Um, they went away with him. And, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So again, they had been in Joppa. They're going, um, they're, they're going with him. And the following day they entered um, Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So Cornelius has sent some people to say, hey, you need to come back and talk to me. He doesn't even know what Peter's going to tell him, but he knows that he's been told he has to do this. And then Peter shows up. And when Peter connected with Cornelius, uh, I'm sorry. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met with him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. And Peter lifted him up saying, uh, stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many members, many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or even visit anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent uh, for, I came without objection. I asked, why have you sent me? And then um, Cornelius goes on. Uh, here in, ver in verse 30 and Cornelius said four days ago about this hour I was praying in my house at the ninth hour and behold a man stood before me in bright clothing and said Cornelius your prayer has been heard and your alms have been uh, remembered before God send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter he's lodging at Simon the great the uh, tanner's house at, uh, by the sea so I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. 
So this is the picture that we're coming into. And again, these stories that we're looking at, Peter, um, both staying at a tanner's house, we looked at last week, the providence of God, where he's setting Peter up for what's about to happen. He has Peter going stay at a tanner's house. What's inside of a tanner's house? We talked about this. Dead animals. How do you get skins for a tanner? Dead animals. Can a Jewish person be near dead animals? No, not a good thing. All right. So God's already sent them there. And so Peter's like, okay, it's a house to stay at. I'm sure that happened time and time again, right? And their ministry, they were to go to find people of peace, stay with those people of peace. Sometimes they might not have been the people that you thought it would be. So he's staying there. Those people, uh, at the same time now, Cornelius is giving him, the, uh, is given a vision. He sends his people over there. Just as he, Peter gets the vision we just read about a while ago, um, all of a sudden then he's, doors knocking. They're saying, hey, you need to come with us. And so even God's providential time we talked about a couple weeks ago is helping us understand God is doing something. There's something at work in all of this, right? So Peter's, in Peter's explanation in 1027, we get his official interpretation of the vision of what I'll call the picnic blanket, right? Um, I mean, just imagine this big blanket being let down, right? It's like, hey, bringing it down. He's like, hey, we're, who gets to join in the picnic? Who gets to come enjoy this, fe this feast, this meal? Again, we're seeing the picture of food being a, 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 mind, a reminder of how God's wanting to bring us all together and have us all, all even join this banquet feast down the road in Revelations. Sorry? So he said he knew God was telling him to spread the gospel to the Gentiles because no one was unclean. I loved how he said not even unclean or common. He's like, I see them differently. Peter's words ironically describe the situation. It's against our law or maybe unconventional for a Jew even like himself to associate with or visit a Gentile. Like he's so basically saying is like, I'm at your house. I shouldn't even be here. And now God told him that he was not to pin the unclean label on any human, right? So passing over his initial hesitations, he came without objection. Only then does he ask, why, why did you ask him to come? This is the first time that's been brought up. I don't even know if the guys that got him there knew why he was coming either. Just that Cornelius has told you, you've got to be here. I need you to come. The, the military man finishes it off with a receptive mood. He says, now we're all here. Uh, like, tell us what the Lord told you to say. I love that. He's like, wait, you called me here. And then your response is like, well, tell us what God put on your heart. Basically, I'm ready to hear for you. You know, it's like, oh, great. So, you know, these visions are now summarized in a coordinated way, all to set up Peter to preach the gospel to a Gentile audience, right? That's what all this has done, is that God has put him there to do what Peter has been doing all through the first part of Acts, right? Every time we see Peter, what is he doing? He's going out, proclaiming the good news about Jesus. He's finding more and more ways to retell the story of Jesus. And now he gets an opportunity to retell that story of Jesus to people that no one thought would care about it. That they didn't want to have any idea about this. And now they've invited him in. How amazing is that story? That they've invited him in. You come in over here and enjoy, the, hear this story now. Be a part of this. I don't know about you, but I grew up with religious prejudice and pride. So I can maybe identify a little bit with uh, Peter's words here. I thought that uh, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and I thought like this was the only way to go and everybody ought to do this. And if you're not like this, and no one taught me that. No one, told, no one at my church was like, we're better. I just assumed that if this is a church that I was going to, I don't know why that, you know, it was like the, how self-centered we can be, that if you're not doing this, that it wasn't done the right way. 
And there's a little bit of this I think we can all walk in, right? Sometimes we can feel like no one that's doing church the way we're doing church or no one that's experiencing God the way I'm experiencing God can experience him really. But Peter knows his Bible and he was informed of God's special election of Israel so he understands that of Israel's destiny and the plans of God and the redemption of all creation. Um, and so Gentiles might sometimes make breakthroughs into the people of Israel, but by and large, most were pagan idolaters headed straight for judgment, right? That was an easy way to just write them off. Gentiles were never going to come into this. They were never going to understand this. But the vision of this picnic blanket filled with the food converted Peter to recognize, hey, maybe I, my prejudice in my heart, maybe this thing that I have been holding on to is not the way I thought it was going to be. So here he stands in front of Gentiles with an opportunity for gospel proclamation to a people who had been excluded from the covenant. What a cool moment. I mean, I love that, the, that he's even recognizing the weight of this. Like all these things coming together, Peter's going, something's happened here, right? We heard the vision. The vision wasn't like, hey, go take the gospel to the Gentiles. But the Spirit of God is doing something in Peter. Something's happening inside of him. So here's what he tells Jesus. He tells them about Jesus. And I want to summarize what he, he goes on to tell them uh, in the rest of chapter 10. Um, um, because each of these points was elaborated uh, with instances in the ministry of Jesus. Right? So the first one is with, through what he begins to tell them is that Jesus' message was about peace. Um, both, I would think, peace of the soul between us and God, and then also the reality of like, it's peace with other people. We can really be at peace with one of the people. Imagine a Jew telling a Gentile that, who are always at odds with one another, always fighting one another. Their country's taking over one another, saying that we're the best. No, we're the best. No, we're the best. Now to come to say like, wait, Jesus has come that there might be peace, right? Through Jesus, who is Lord of all, and that is Jews and Gentiles. That's from... Verses 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 36. And from John's baptism on, that God was with him and that it is God that anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power so that he could uh, travel along the Galilee doing good and healing. That that's what Jesus' mission was. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he was going out doing good and traversing and, and healing and caring and showing people about the kingdom of God. The third thing he shows them in this is like, like God the Father, Jesus showed no favoritism. I love this about Jesus in the story of the Gospels. He showed redemptive compassion to all who were under the power of the devil, he says in verse 38. And then Peter turns momentarily from plain spoken descriptions, kind of basic description of Jesus, to a personal claim. He says, I was there, um, I saw it, and I heard it all. So that is, Peter is an actual witness to it. It's not just like some story that I heard, but hey, I've actually experienced this. I mean, there's something different about something that you're telling a story second or third hand. Then no, 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 I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. That's what Peter's connecting to. He continues telling the story of Jesus. And again, that is uh, what uh, apostolic gospel preaching was, right? It was continuing to just tell the story of Jesus over and over and over again. Sometimes... Maybe that's where our fear comes in even presenting the gospel or sharing it. It's like we're uncomfortable even sharing that story. Maybe I'll miss or, or forget a part. Well, you know what? The Spirit's bigger than all that, right? Do we think we have to have it all perfectly matched up? Peter's also told this over and over and over again. He's recounting it. So we can learn from him even in this moment. Um, 
The Roman uh, sponsored authorities killed him by hanging him on the cross, which describes for many the victory of the powers over the way of Jesus, right? But the good news is that God raised him from the dead, he tells us in verse 40, and that we saw him and ate with him again, right? So Peter's saying, listen, I've experienced firsthand this Jesus that we talk about, that's being shared about. And I want us to pause and not just move straight on into, okay, yeah, he keeps going on. Like, that's the, that's the simplicity of the gospel. It can, it can be that simple. And, and we can think, what, what would that do? What would people knowing that there, I needed peace with God and there was a guy who came and made peace with God and his name was Jesus. He lived a perfect life and he went and lived a life that was different than anybody else. Like, this retelling of the story, that's the picture of the gospel. Of the gospel. And it's that simple. His death was overcome by the resurrection. The gospel is about the victory of God over death through the power of the resurrection. The gospel story about Jesus continues only because of Easter. So not like look at this all together and say like, that's good news. We can share that. And there might be people that don't want to have, hear anything about that, but when they hear that, it could change their whole life. But he continues on. He says, Jesus was ordered as a witness, uh, ordered us to witness and to announce or to preach or to testify that the raised one will return again as a judge. Not only does uh, um, the gospel, the benefit of the gospel get mentioned in Peter's gospel, um, only this point, right? We'll only see the benefit of the gospel happening after all of this, right? We don't go to the beginning and say, oh, it's good. Like, it's your get out of, of hell free card. It's like recognizing this is the gospel of Jesus. This is the good news of Jesus. And with this, you get to uh, experience um, the benefit and the, the, the purpose of the gospel. And then lastly, he says, the entire sweep of the Bible's witness about Jesus and the gift of forgiving sins is through his name. It's part of what we love to teach about Jesus. And right, what happens next is that Gentile Pentecost. They hear these words, right? It says, while Peter speaks and God's moves, or as Luke's recorded, while Peter is still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. So the truth about Jesus is shared, and then the Holy Spirit shows up and says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to solidify this into this heart, and they're going to they're gonna hear this. And I just want to challenge us and encourage us with this, with this word, that a gospel truth is that whatever we are talking with, uh, uh, talking Jesus with others, the spirit is at work. We might not know why. And so that's, again, how do we tell any of our stories with Jesus as the hero of that story? How can we bring Jesus, how can we st- tell the good news of Jesus over and over and over again? The Spirit's falling on the Gentiles, tossed the Jewish believers uh, into, uh, like, you know, consternation. They were frustrated. Like, what's going on here? They were astonished, it says in verses 45 and 46, that God's Spirit would come even on the Gentiles. That what, that's what we would call prejudice, right? And this is Peter's learning to unlive this. He's, see, he's experienced this. These other believers who are with him now, who've just become believers, are trying to understand, okay, this is what's going on here. Peter's one step ahead of them as believers having that time with Jesus. I think he's understand and experienced that. And so if these Gentiles have the Holy Spirit, they need to be baptized. Let's go on with this. And this is an argument from experienced reality, right? Peter heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. 
It says that in those verses that that's all he needed. They, they've got what we've got. I'm seeing the example of this. They've got the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's working inside of them. I'm believing it. So they've got it. So let's go. God is at work here. The Spirit is moving. So the order of redemptive moments, like we talked about earlier in Persia's life, are inconsistent throughout the book of Acts, right? We look like faith, repentance, forgiveness, baptism, the coming of the Holy Spirit. All these things are contingent on someone coming to faith, but the order which what they happen might, might not all happen in one consecutive line or the same exact way. And so two things to think about as we observe this passage here. And it might be missed and certainly missed by me the first time I was reading through this. Um, One thing was that the Jewish believers, whether from uh, Joppa or Jerusalem, would have missed that there's no circumcision required in this. Right? There's like, we've not said, hey, you've got to come and be just like us now. You've been Gentiles and not, this has not been a part of your customs or tradition. And so now you've got to do this in order to join in with us. In order, we're starting to take away some of those laws that we're saying, hey, this is, not, this is not connected to that. Right? Which will come to mean for some Jerusalem believers that Peter and even especially Paul were no longer observant of Moses. Right? So this is going to cause some frustration even inside of believers. Like, wait, is this okay? Can we say this is not okay for them to do? But to not put on expectations necessarily on believers uh, or converts that Jesus doesn't place on them. I think that's the biggest thing for us to take away from that. Right? If you're bringing the message of the good news to someone and their life changes, the expectation isn't that maybe they're going to look exactly like we would look like, right? No, because they're going to bring Christianity into their culture and their context. So... Well, what, what we also might skip over is this is, is the decision by Cornelius that would have created a, a, a decision for him. Would Cornelius, the leader of a battalion, ever be able to offer a sacrifice to the gods or declare the emperor the ruler of all now? Because now he said, he's saying, if he's hearing this and believing this, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is his king, he's now having to make a decision. I can't just go on continuing being this leader without recognizing the chance there. So the answer is no. The man makes a decision that would have led to either, at best, his dismissal, right? At best, he's dismissed and no longer able to be centurion. At worst, it's his death. And I think we can be confident in that to recognize this. When, when, when we present the gospel, sometimes, again, maybe it's our prejudice. Maybe it's our, like, ah, we just don't know that the, like, they're going to want to follow Jesus like I follow Jesus, right? We have chosen to follow Jesus and counted the cost. and know that means a death to ourself and that we will live life differently and lose things to follow Jesus, right? To follow Jesus means everything might not turn out like I would want it to. It might not look like the way I'd want it to. I'm willing to do whatever it means to follow Jesus. I'm going to die to myself. That's what Jesus says over and over again, right? Throughout the gospels. To follow me means to die to yourself daily, right? Take up your cross daily and come after me. I mean, it's ultimately what God was even asking in the garden. I'm going to show you a way to do this. Don't eat from that tree. Everything else is yours. Like, God's even to us. Hey, there's some things in life we need to, we're going to not do and we're going to abstain from. But everything else is yours. Like, bring the gospel to all of that. But yet, in this moment, 
this centurion, these, we're seeing the gospel going out to that. I think we make that decision for other people sometimes. That they, wouldn't, that they won't see the gospel as better than whatever they've put their life on. That, that they would rather continue living in whatever way they've been living rather than turning and living their life for Jesus. So I just want to encourage us, even, again, even in that moment, to recognize this centurion hearing the gospel knows what this means. To give up his life means, I, I could die for this. But that's the work of the Spirit and the way the Spirit continues on. As the, as these, the story goes, that continues on, Acts chapter 11 comes in, verses 1 through 18. Again, we won't go through and read it because it's just Peter recounting that what's happened um, back to the, the, the believers in Jerusalem. This is though we've assumed all along that the, um, um, the apostles and believers in, in Judea Sorry, the apostles and believers in Judea only seem to recognize Gentile conversions with the story of Cornelius kind of starting here. That's why we don't see the eunuch before this as the beginning of this. So it says the fact that not all Jerusalem believers were affirming these Gentile conversions, these, uh, the circumcised believers, which is lingo for believers who were also uh, Torah observant, they, did the, they, were, they were following the old laws, uh, pointed to P- Peter's violation of the custom and that he went into the house of the uncircumcised men and he ate with him. So that's what he's being accused of when he comes back into um, and, uh, and Acts chapter 11, verse 3. So then Peter rehearses the whole story. He, shows, he tells of his vision, Cornelius' vision, the coordination of those visions leading to his gospeling of Cornelius and in in his home, right? The outpouring of the Spirit on them. And he's experienced basically a Pente- very similar to what he experienced at Pentecost and his baptizing them. And then Peter asks out loud, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? Right? We see that in verses 4 through 17. Criticisms wither under the heat of this magnificent story. They had no other objections is what it says. Like when they hear the evidence of it. Wait, they had God's providence and time brought everything together where you got a vision, Cornelius got a vision, you got a vision, Cornelius sent for you, you showed up for there, and then there you were, and then the gospel went out, and not only that, like the Spirit filled them, they were baptized, and we began to see their lives completely radically changed. But like Peter, and like the, Jop- uh, the believers in Joppa, so the Jerusalem authorities admit, still maybe with a little con- condes- uh, condescension, so even the Gentiles that God has granted repentance that leads to life. He says that in verse 18. And I think, I mean, you can hear some of that condescension of like, oh, even, God's even going to redeem those guys. And there's both that condescension, but there's also a picture of how amazing God's love is. That he can love anybody, even the people we think are unlovable. So Peter's mission is embraced as was the conversions of the Gentiles. And this really is that picture of this Gentile conversion. So where, where do we go with this? What does this show us? And I think it shows us, again, the same picture. The hearts we have is just like the hearts of those people back in Jerusalem. Going like, could this really happen? I think our heart more often is, could the gospel really change other people's lives? Could my friends at school, could my neighbor... Uh, you know, with the Confederate flag or my friend with the signs out front that, you know, I don't know what he's believing or my coworker, whatever it is. Like, could they really be? Could God really change that person? 
And yes, he can. There's no one that cannot that escapes the, the path of the gospel. No one that gets around us for that. And I think the question for us is, where do we have prejudice towards outsiders coming into the family of God? You might be thinking of people you would find surprised to show up at a gathering or at a family meal, right? Because they might actually be a part of that. Like, would they be surprised? Oh, wait, you're, you would want to know about this? And so I think for some of us, it's again to question in our own hearts, where do we have prejudice for people that we're not even willing to share the gospel with them? Because we're not believing that the gospel might change them. Maybe a question to our own hearts is where do we find it difficult to accept God's love for us even at times? Where are we not accepting the love of God because we don't believe that God's love can even change our hearts, that it's not still changing our hearts? So my prayer is that, as the, again, we, we, are, we are part of the, the, the Gentile believers that have gone, that have been made, that are continuing to see that. Our heart is that we would have this heart, just like Peter, that no matter, God is already doing this. God is doing this every day in our life. He's orchestrating who we're connecting with and where we're going. There might not be picnic blanket visions that are happening, right? And he might not be orchestrating things through a vision and setting you in a trance as you're making dinner one day to go, oh, hey, this is what's happening. But he is providentially orchestrating opportunities for us to do exactly what uh, happened between Cornelius and Peter. Hey, you sent me here. What is, it, what is it that you need to say? With a neighbor, with a coworker, with a random stranger at a, in a grocery line, somebody telling your story. I was telling uh, a bit of our story at a basketball game this last week, uh, this, yesterday with a neighbor friend of ours that didn't, you know, I, I think they know a little bit about us and we know a little bit about them, but don't know a whole lot of their story. Um, and again, I've, I've, I've got the pastor label, so I'm always nervous about where we're going to, you know, where that's coming out and um, just got to share. This is God's grace in my life. I don't know what he's going to do with that. But I just kept talking about Jesus and God and how he had been at work in my life because I was like, that's what's, what's happening. He didn't walk away. He didn't stop talking to me. In fact, he kept asking more questions. Go figure that. That's how crazy God works, right? That he just shows us up, puts us in the places, and we just have our normal conversations, and they turn into that. So my prayer for us is that we would think about where, where do we have that prejudice to think like, yeah, this is that moment. Well, where's my fear at? Where's my worry? And where it makes us difficult for us to accept God's peacemaking love for us and for others.